Good, Clay? Very good. That was my report card and performance review for starting things off this morning. You can meet that with apprehension and even fear. And sometimes when we are the one getting the performance review or the report card is coming, we may even feel as if we have not been treated fairly. Like the person who is grading us is not being objective and just. That can never be said about Jesus. And it is the evaluation of Jesus that counts. When you look at the book of Acts, as it deals with Christ and conversion and the church, it is astounding to see progress reports. Performance evaluations, report cards, if you will, given by God Himself. There are six or seven of these in the book of Acts, and I suggest that they come at very key moments, at very critical times, and that when we see them, we need to look at the verse, the passage itself, we need to consider the context, and we need to learn something about a principle that God's trying to get out. To help us understand, because if the church at Westside or the congregation that you may be a part of is to have a positive progress report and performance evaluation from God Himself, from Jesus, these are going to be principles that will always be emphasized by the church. Look, if you will, at Acts 2 and verse 47. Here's the first of these progress reports, report cards. It says that the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved, that they had favor with God and with all the people. When the Spirit came, power was to come upon the apostles so Luke concludes in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. So Acts begins in Acts chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. When the Spirit came, the power would come, and when the power of God came upon these apostles, the kingdom would come. This is what Jesus taught in passages like Luke 24, 44 through 49. And Acts 1, 5 through 11. And as we read Acts 2, these events, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, it's taking place as we read it. God's promise in Jesus is being fulfilled. Note especially verses 24 to 32. In this marvelous sermon about Jesus that is full of Scripture, he quotes from Psalm 16 and from Psalm 110 extensively, as well as Joel 2, 28-32. This is a saturated sermon in Scripture. But verses 24-32 through 32 of Acts 2 especially deal with the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. And it's the resurrection of Jesus that made the difference in the apostles and it made the difference in Acts chapter 2. 
so that people could repent and be baptized, so that they could have the forgiveness of their sins and have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, having dealt a little with the passage, verse 47 of chapter 2, the context, here's the principle. God's people must ever emphasize Christ and His resurrection. God's people must ever emphasize Christ and His resurrection. Sort of like the children's book, Where's Waldo? We may ask the religious world, where's God? Where's Jesus in all of this? And especially, where is the resurrection of Jesus? If we would want a favorable report card and a good performance evaluation from Jesus Himself, it will be because He is constantly at the forefront of our teaching, our preaching, our living. Christ and His resurrection. Notice, if you will, Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, it's the second performance evaluation given by God in the book of Acts. People study the book of Acts in a lot of ways. It has amazed me that this is not one of them. Because you would think God's performance evaluation and the events surrounding it would be really important. I know there's more than one way to study a book, and that's why we're looking at it this way today. We're dealing with 30 years that changed the world. The world was turned upside down, Acts 17.6. The enemies of Christ said, as they went everywhere preaching the Word, Acts 8.1-4. Now look at Acts 6 with me. Verse 7. In the events just after Acts 2... In Acts chapters 3 and 4, the devil is not going to let the church of Jesus alone. And he tries to suppress the truth, the church, through fear and intimidation. Did we not straightly, strictly charge you not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus? You're going to read that in this section prior to Acts chapter 6. He is going to try, Steve, to corrupt the church through hypocrisy. Acts 5, 1-11, and Ananias and Sapphira. The devil is going to try to distract the church from... to distract the leadership of the church from its mission. Acts 6, verses 3 and 4. We must give ourselves to the Word of God and prayer. And the devil is going to try to get the church to be divided due to unintentional neglect. Unintentional neglect in Acts 6. Widows being overlooked in ministry. I'd say the devil's pretty busy, wouldn't you? Between Acts 3 and Acts 6. But notice throughout this section, notice Acts 3 verse 6. In the name of Jesus. Notice Acts 3.16. In the name of Jesus. 
Keep working your way through Acts 4 and verse 12, for example. And it's not the only reference to the name of Jesus. There is salvation in no other name. No less than ten times from Acts 3 to Acts 6 and verse 7, the name of Jesus is referred to. Look at Acts 5 verses 40 and 41. They were blessed to suffer persecution for His name's sake. Now Acts 6 and verse 7, the progress report. Acts 6 and verse 7. You can read it right along with me. The Word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Despite the efforts of the devil to thwart the church, to hinder the church... The name of Jesus continued to be proclaimed. The principle. If the first principle was the church of every era must stress Jesus and His resurrection. Secondly, the church of every era must emphasize the preaching of Jesus and His gospel. This is not optional. The church of every era, if it wants to have a positive report from God Himself, a performance evaluation that's good, we must stress the proclamation of Jesus and the gospel. Jim McKay mentioned just in his prayer as he passed that in the last few years, Sometimes we talk about things that could improve at Westside, but I'll tell you what, in the last couple of years, think of the number of individuals. you got Ryder Sawyer back there in the sound booth that goes often and preaches at Sheffield, Texas. We've got Steve over here. You're kind of the senior spokesman for this group here, Steve, that goes to McCamey about every other Sunday and preach the gospel. David Eastland began preaching in San Saba, Texas, a little over two years ago. Justin Bell began preaching full-time at Gorman, Texas, just over the last few months. He's been there about four months. David Vestal is preaching full-time now in Mathis, Texas. That is a number of men highly involved in preaching, and it doesn't even include a number of fellows that are here that preach often, including our elders, when the need arises. And think also of the work being done by Cody McCoy that we help support at Memphis School of Preaching. By the work being done at Denver, at Bear Valley Bible Institute, and especially the Extension School at Fiji. There are some things that we ought to smile because we want God to have a praise and glory But the church here has had a great role in these men preaching. And it's something we ought to thank God for and praise His name. We don't say enough about it, sadly. We ought to say more about it. And when I hear some people talking about what's not being done, stop it. Let's also emphasize properly what's being done.
follow with me, if you will, to Acts 9.31. Acts 9.31, the third of six or seven of these progress reports. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the churches of Jerusalem and Judea had peace and were being built up. They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit and they were being multiplied. When you look at the events preceding Acts 9, 31 here, what we have between 6, 7, the last progress report, and this one, 9, 31, we have the preaching and the martyrdom of Stephen In Acts 6 and 7, we have the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the apostle, to the Gentiles. Acts 9, 15. We have the conversion of Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. We have the conversion of the Ethiopian nobleman in Acts chapter 8. All events just between the second and the third progress report. Here's the principle. The church then and the church now must properly emphasize biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship. This has to do with a common bond and commitment in Christ to the will and work and walk of God. It has to do with the awareness that we have been called into fellowship with God and with one another through the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. 1 John 1, verses 7 through 9. Fellowship. That there is this relationship with God and this relationship with those who belong to God and a concern that people of all cultures and backgrounds have the opportunity to know a sense of relationship and community and family with God. By Acts 9.31, jot down Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life, Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That whether I come to see you or be absent, Paul writes, I hear of your state. That you stand fast with one spirit, with one soul, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Fellowship in the gospel in Christ. We must emphasize, if we want a positive report card from God, biblical fellowship. That, on the one hand, will mean we have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5.11. But on the other, it means that we seek to encourage and build up people in the faith. I can't think really of a better description of fellowship. Hear me, Troy? I can't think of a better description of fellowship than Acts 9.31. They had peace. They were being built up. They walked in the fear of the Lord, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and they were growing. 
That's fellowship. Component aspects of fellowship. Turn, if you will, now to a fourth passage. Acts 12 and verse 24. Here is the report card, the progress report, the performance evaluation being given by God. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Consider the context. Consider the background. From Acts 9 to this point, fast forward quickly. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and his house are brought to Jesus. Gentile converts. It is a high water mark in the book of Acts. The Jews first and also the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, Peter explains what God has done and in granting repentance unto life to Jesus. And it says, they glorified God. Acts 11, 18 and 19. They glorified God. The church at Antioch would become a launching pad for the gospel in Acts chapter 11 and the last portion of it. And... Barnabas is there and he sees the grace of God. Acts eleven twenty two through 24 and he's glad. Antioch would become one of the great churches of the early church. And then we get to chapter 12. Acts chapter 12 begins... And it takes us aback. James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, is martyred. He's an apostle. He's one of the inner circle. Peter is imprisoned. And Herod Agrippa I seems to be triumphing. He seems to be winning. He's slaughtering. He's persecuting Christians. He's making a point here. And he's really brazen because he's gotten James and killed him. And he's got Peter in jail. And you know that he doesn't have great, uh, uh, a great outcome in mind for him. He's going to die. Herod Agrippa I was the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember the king that tried to kill all the babies the time that Jesus was born? You talk about families that were pretty rotten. Herod Agrippa I is trying to stop and thwart and oppose God and His people. When you begin Acts 12, James has been martyred, Peter has been imprisoned, and it seems like Herod Agrippa I is winning. When the chapter ends, Herod Agrippa I is dead. Peter is a free man. And God is triumphing. Isn't that great? Thank you, Ellie. Thank you, Carl. It is great. It's a wonderful thing to consider. But when we look at Acts chapter 12 and verse 24, here's the principle. 
the people of God must ever emphasize the glory of God. The glory of God. When Gentiles become Christians, the Christians at Jerusalem glorify God. When Herod dies in Acts chapter 12, the text says he dies really because he gave not God the glory. The point is, the principle is, the church of Jesus must ever stress the glory of Jesus. He is great and awesome and powerful and no one that opposes the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Revelation 19 and verse 16, will win ultimate victory. No one. I'm glad that's in the Bible, aren't you? Number five... Open your Bibles to Acts 16 and verse 5. A lot happens between chapter 12 and verse 24 and Acts 16 and verse 5 that our brother Boyd read for us in the Scripture reading a few moments ago. You have in Acts 13 and 14 the Holy Spirit separating Paul and Barnabas for the work and they go about in what we call the first missionary journey, the first preaching tour. In Acts 15, you have Paul and Barnabas and others in Jerusalem dealing with false teaching that existed in the early days of the church. People that were saying, He that believes and is baptized and is circumcised shall be saved. But he that believes not and is baptized not and is circumcised not shall be damned. And they were trying to enforce that principle on every Gentile, not just Jews. Note Acts thirteen forty three. They exhorted Paul and Barnabas did those to whom they preached to continue in the grace of God. Notice Acts chapter 15 and verse 40. People are commended to the grace of God. In Acts chapter 15, the decision of the apostles and the leaders of the church concerning what to do with Gentiles who become Christians. Are we going to take every male who's a Gentile and circumcise him and compel him, make him be circumcised, believe, repent, confess, be baptized and be circumcised? Are we going to do that? And they say, we cannot do that without adding to the gospel. To add to the gospel is to subtract from it. Because what Jesus has done is sufficient. We do not need to add gimmicks and gadgets to the gospel. We need to proclaim the gospel with clarity and simplicity. 
In Acts 15 verse 11, the text says, we are saved by grace. Well, if Acts 12 24 and that progress report emphasize the glory of God, this passage in Acts 16 emphasizes the grace of God. How do I know it? Context. Here is what's going to happen in Acts 16, verse 5. Notice, I have told you what happens prior to Acts 16, 5. But what happens beginning in Acts 16, verse 6. Adam, it's what we call the Macedonian call, isn't it? The Spirit forbids him to go to Asia and Bithynia. But the God of grace is a God who opens doors. And the gospel would be planted at Philippi in Acts 16. In Asia Minor, God's gracious provision, principle. The church must ever stress the grace of God as we preach and as we work and live. We must ever stress that. It's sad to me that some people only talk about grace when they are opposing once saved, always saved. But I want you to know once saved, always saved is not biblical, but neither is once saved, scarcely saved. Once saved, barely saved. People need to hear about grace. Number next, this should be number 6. Turn to Acts 19, verse 20. Acts 19, verse 20. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, we have a statement occurring at Ephesus. Acts 19, 20, and allow me to read it. In Acts 19, verse 20, the Word of God says, So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Context between 16.5 and 19.20. The gospel goes to Philippi, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, for example. The gospel goes to Thessalonica. Persecution. The gospel deals with persecution and opposition. Paul had to leave Thessalonica quicker than he wanted to. The gospel goes to Berea. The gospel goes to Athens, where it is opposed by idolatry and pagan philosophy. Is the gospel still opposed by opposition and persecution and idolatry and pagan philosophy? Things haven't changed a whole lot, have they? Keep looking. In Acts 18, the gospel is challenged at Corinth by worldliness. The word of the Lord is challenged by worldliness. And then when you get to Acts 19 and Ephesus, what we have here in context is the church, God's people, the faith, the gospel is opposed by the occult. Now here's the word 
Here's the principle. Get this, because often we don't think enough about this one. The text said in the English Standard, the Word of God prevailed. Prevailed. Against what? I'll tell you what, against persecution and opposition. Against what? Idolatry and pagan philosophy. Against what? Worldliness and ungodliness characterized, epitomized by Corinth. The gospel prevailed against the occult and the satanic. Aren't you glad God is for us? And as Christians, when we start thinking of all the things we have against us, let's remember the one who is for us. You think it's helpful to study the book of Acts this way? I do. Look at Acts 28, verses 30 and 31, and we'll conclude with this passage. It is the close of the book of Acts. Paul is on his way to Rome as a Roman citizen. He is under house arrest. In other words, he's given considerable freedom. He just has to stick around the house as he awaits trial as a Roman citizen for doing nothing other than preaching Jesus and the gospel. Look at Acts 28 with me. 30 and 31. He lived there, that's Rome... The gospel is going to go to Rome. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, catch it, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice these last words. With all boldness and without hindrance. If the work is truly from God, that work will not lack for God's blessing. With all boldness and without hindrance. I think about this. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Even as it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Quoting Psalm 44 and verse 22 in Romans chapter 8 verses 35 and 36. If you look at the life of Paul, you will see that he dealt with... Tribulation, distress, and persecution. Nakedness, famine, and peril. And you know what, Adam? He'd eventually die by the sword. And he would say, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Principle. The kingdom. 
We must stress the kingdom, the church of Christ, the body of Christ, the family of God. Paul was going to stress that in every part of the world that he traveled and we need to do it in every crook and cranny, in every road and street and block, in every community we go to. The kingdom of God. Now stop and go backwards with me. Let's look at all seven And let me take the principle. The kingdom, Acts 28, will prevail, Acts 19 and verse 20, by God's grace, Acts 16, 5. And to God's glory, Acts 12 and verse 24, Because we have fellowship, Acts 9 and verse 31, and proclaim Christ and His resurrection, Acts 6 and verse 7, Acts 2 and verse 47. I want to preach for a church that will get a positive report card from Jesus. Don't you want to to be part of a congregation that would get a, a positive report card from Jesus? I think you really do. And the way we do it is not by adding to Jesus and His gospel. It's not by leaving Jesus and His gospel out. But it's by keeping the head the head. Whether it is in our preaching, our Bible classes, our evangelism, every aspect of the life and work of the church. That's a surefire way to get a great performance review from Jesus. Thank you for listening. And we're going to stand and sing our song of encouragement shortly. Perhaps there's someone here who through faith, repentance, and baptism needs to come to Jesus. You acknowledge the glorious thing He did that Wayland talked about in the meditation for the Lord's Supper. He died, though innocent, for us. The guilt was ours. The sin was ours. The forgiveness and the wholeness His. But He makes it possible for us to be forgiven and clean through the blood of the cross through faith, repentance, and baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, be added to the church, the kingdom of God. And as a member of the congregation here at Westside or wherever your membership may be, do everything you sincerely can so that God will give a positive performance evaluation to the congregation you're part of. Let us stand and sing.